Amen. Well, uh, this morning uh, we are welcoming uh, David Fellows, my father-in-law, to come and share the word with us this morning. Many of you will know David. He's spoken here uh, quite a few times over the time that Phil and I have been in the church. And uh, so I'm going to pass over to him. Like every good father-in-law, I'm trying to do what I'm told. Always seems like a good, good idea, doesn't it, really? Right. Well, I think um, before I start speaking, I just wanted to um, extend my thanks to you all for inviting me. I know you didn't. Your pastor did. You can blame him later. I notice he's run away. And I never thought I would be introduced by my daughter-in-law. And it's just such a privilege, really, you know, looking back on, on our life as a family, really, to be at this point where your daughter-in-law invites you to speak is just a tremendous thing, really. I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. And I know the church in Aylesbury, where Caroline and I worship, would want me to extend their love and their greetings to you and their best wishes to you. They inquire after you on many occasions. And it's good to remember that we're all one in Christ, really, wherever we are geographically, whether we're in this country or even abroad and so on. We are one in Christ. And it's good to remember it. Um, Well, I wonder if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. So, Luke chapter 1. I think the last time I was here, a few months ago, I spoke on Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, and we looked at, um, really, the way their relationship with the Lord Jesus develops uh, through their lives and the increasing understanding that they have and the way they grow, grew, grew in maturity through their lives. Um, What I want to speak to you on this morning is another um, woman from the New Testament. And I'm I'm thinking back, I don't think I have ever heard anybody preach on this particular lady. And the more I think about that, the more extraordinary I think it is. Because this time we're going to look at Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. And isn't it extraordinary how little we speak and think about her. Um, One of the reasons why I want to look at her this morning and consider her is, of course, she is the person through whom the Lord God decided to manifest his Son. So surely in her character we can find something of what God is looking for in us if we're going to bring the Lord Jesus into the world. And and I'm embarrassed that I have never spoken about her before, really. It's such a fundamental thing to consider this woman who God 
used to manifest the Lord Jesus to the world, what was she like? What was it in her character which God you made the choice over? You know, why did God choose her? What was it which was special about her? Well, before I go any further and we actually read the passage, let's pray. So, Father, we do want to ask that you would open our eyes to see what you have to say to us, to give us understanding, to, in a sense, to see our own lives and the shortfalls in our own lives and to be willing to allow you to, to make us more the people you want us to be. Amen. Amen. So if you all found Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 26. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has conceived a son in her old age, she who was called barren, is now in her sixth month, and nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now it has happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. And behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment, a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul exults in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. 
For he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. And he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and returned to her home. So we're going to be looking at Mary and her character and what we know about her. So first of all, I just want to briefly outline to you where we read of Mary in the New Testament. You know, what is it that we actually know about her? Well, we read of her quite a lot in the context of Jesus' birth, and of course that is what I've just been reading about to you. And we read in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 of those events, and in Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 1, and a little bit in Luke chapter 2. After that we really read very little. We read a little bit about Jesus' childhood and she appears uh, on one occasion in his childhood when he's 12 years old, that's in Luke chapter 2. And then when Jesus moves into his ministry, we read about Mary at the wedding in Cana of Galilee where she just figures a little bit in that story. After that... She virtually disappears. She appears with the family at one point, with his brothers and sisters, Jesus' brothers and sisters, and is almost a teaching aid to Jesus' teaching. Um, after that, there's nothing except that she appears again at the foot of the cross, um, and then she appears again in the, after Jesus is raised from the dead in the, with the disciples in the upper room. And that is about all that we know of her. Those are the occasions when she appears. Um, it is interesting that actually she did go on to have other children and we know that she had at least six other children because when we read of, of Mary appearing with Jesus' family there are six her children mentioned there in that particular incident. So we must assume that she had other children with Joseph after Jesus was born. One of the most extraordinary things about Mary is how little we know about her. I mean, if you consider um, most mothers, I'm sorry ladies, but this is the way it is, most mothers are very proud of their children. If your child was the son of God, in all likelihood you'd be going round telling everyone about him, making a big fuss. I remember my parents used to, it was terribly embarrassing, they would always introduce me with my full CV. You know, this is my son David, he does this, he's that, he's it. And by the time they'd finished, you sort of curled up into a small ball and wished the ground would open up and swallow you. You know, most mothers are really quite pushy where their children are concerned. Mary disappears completely. She will not get in Jesus' way. She will not take the limelight from her son. She is willing to be completely absent from uh, the accounts, although she's evidently present physically. 
but she's absent in contribution and she doesn't put herself forward. It's very interesting how little we know of her. We actually only read of her speaking on four occasions, two of which I've read to you this morning. So she speaks to the angel Gabriel, she speaks uh, in the context of visiting Elizabeth, those are the two accounts I've read to you. Uh, She um, uh, speaks when Jesus is 12, we read when Jesus is lost and they find him, she speaks to Jesus on that occasion, and she speaks at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. That is all we read of her speech. Virtually nothing, really. So the main accounts are here in Luke, in the passage that I read to you. That's the main things that we know are in this passage that I read. So what I'm going to do is just simply take us through that passage. So it starts off by saying in the sixth month, there in verse 26, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Angels, of course, are messengers. And Gabriel is a particularly important messenger of God. He stands in the presence of God. We know the terms of reference for his job because a little bit earlier in Luke, he says, uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. He is a messenger And that is actually one of the meanings of the word angel, simply means messenger. He's bringing a message. And he comes there in verse 27 to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And it's most important that we uh, understand that Mary was a virgin. She had not had sexual relationships, she was a virgin, and she remained a virgin until Jesus was born. We know that from Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 1 verse 25 tells us that she remained a virgin until Jesus was born. Well, what does the angel say? Coming in, he said to her, greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Part of Mary's character is this matter of pondering. We read on three occasions that Mary pondered and considered and held things in her heart and wondered what it was all about. She was actually a very thoughtful girl. She is the sort of girl who stores things up and thinks about them and chews on them and thinks actually, what is going on here? What is this about? Uh, The other occasions when we read of that are when the shepherds visit and she sort of has these shepherds come and she thinks, what is this about? You know, why is this happening? And indeed, when Jesus is 12 and stays in the temple and becomes lost from his family again, we read that she pondered it. And she considered it. She is the sort of girl who is prepared to think things through. Well, just reading on, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I'm interested that this angel starts by saying, do not be afraid. Um, We don't know what the appearance of this particular angel on this occasion was. But we do know that, that on occasions angels have appeared with such a glory surrounding them that the men who have seen them have fallen down as if they're dead. Um, So it may well be that the appearance of this angel was something magnificent. But I'm actually interested in the next phrase that he uses. You have found favour with God. I wonder what you would expect if you found favour with God. You know, I think most of us, if we find favour with God, will expect some sort of great blessing which will manifest itself in a material way in our lives. Great happiness, great joy, perhaps great wealth if you're that way inclined, perhaps a new car, perhaps a new relationship with somebody, some great blessing which will make you say, oh, tomorrow is going to be much better than today. And I have been blessed in such a way, God has shown such favour to me. Actually, what does favour from God actually mean for Mary? Well, favour from God towards Mary means she's going to be an unmarried, pregnant girl in a society whose law required the stoning of girls who are unmarried and pregnant. It's a sort of favour which says, you'll be lucky if you come out of this with your life because the law requires that you will be stoned. What sort of a favour is that? Is that the sort of favour that you and I are prepared to have in order that the Lord Jesus Christ might be manifested? You see, if the Lord Jesus Christ came to be manifested to the world through your life so that when people in a sense, saw something of your service to God. They could see the Lord Jesus Christ. If the, if the downside of that was your life was always likely to be lost, would you regard it as a favour? I'm not sure whether I would, if I'm honest. Well, how does Mary react? Mary says to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? It's interesting, this is not unbelief, this is simply a lack of understanding. She doesn't understand what is going to happen. How can this be, since I am a virgin? This isn't a matter that she doesn't believe, it's that she simply doesn't know what's going to happen. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who's conceived a son in her old age, for she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Now this really 
in the life of an individual, when you're looking at a Bible character, look for things which, in a sense, encapsulate that life. And here we have a statement from Mary which encapsulates the whole matter of why God was able to use her. She says, Behold the bondservant of the Lord. She is the Lord's bondservant. What is a bondservant? It is really the lowest form of slavery or servitude. It is somebody who gives themselves totally and willingly to somebody else. So what she is saying is, I am the sort of person who gives myself, who is willing to give myself totally and unreservedly to the Lord. And when the Lord finds that sort of a person who will not hold back, but who is willing to be this sort of servant who is, will give themselves in an unreserved way, then he will use them. And so Mary is that sort of a person who is willing to be the Lord's bondservant. And therefore he uses her. And then, in a sense, you might say, well, what does that actually mean in practice, David? You know, if you're talking about a bondservant, what does it look like? Well, just look at what Mary says. She says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your will. That is the characteristic, that is the job description of the bondservant. The bondservant's job description is, may it be done to me according to your will. That is what a bondservant does. And so, what is she asking for? When she says, may it be done to me according to your will, she is really saying, I am content if the following things happen. If my engagement to the man that I love comes to an end. If I am an outcast from my family and society. If there is an end to any aspiration that I may have to a family life in a settled community. Being the bondservant of the Lord for Mary meant all of these things were waiting for her. And at the worst death. And yet... She doesn't even ask for an explanation of how to tell Joseph. I'm, I think if it was me, I'd say, well, what am I supposed to tell him? How am I going to explain this? What do I say? She says none of that. She is simply willing to accept that she's going to allow God to do what he will do. And the angel departed from her. Well, this really, if we pause and think about this story, it is an extraordinary story because surely you would expect this woman to have subsequent visits from an angel or to hear from God personally, subsequently. I mean, there are all sorts of issues that she needs to understand, aren't there? You know, she needs to understand child-rearing. What should I feed the baby on? How should I bring him up? What do we do about this matter of discipline? Is there going to be an issue of discipline anyway? 
you know, where, where should he go to school? What, so, what sort of things should he be doing? What clothes should I bear, buy him? All the issues of child rearing, advice from the NHS, etc., etc. All of that, God provides none of it. The angel never appears again. God never speaks to Mary directly, in person, through an angel again. Everything which we subsequently read about Mary is learned from her experiences of walking in the situation that God gives her. She simply now walks, sees what happens and ponders what happens. She learns from the experiences which God takes her through. God does not speak to her all the time. She simply learns from the experiences. She learns from Joseph, from Joseph's experiences, because God is going to reveal himself to Joseph. She learns from that. She learns from the shepherds, because God reveals himself to the shepherds. She learns from the wise men, because God reveals himself to the wise men. She learns from Simeon, when Jesus comes into the temple, because God reveals himself to Simeon. But God never reveals himself to Mary again. Not directly. She learns from all these things that she walks through. I wonder whether we are prepared to walk that sort of life. Or do you have to have God speaking to you all the time? Are you the sort of person who needs God constantly telling you what to do, constantly reassuring you? Mary wasn't like that. Once God had spoken to Mary... Mary simply goes on walking in the good of what God said years and years earlier. Tremendous faithfulness, really, as everything goes on around her. Well, let's carry on reading. So we're at verse 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now it's happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy in my womb. And blessed, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what the Lord had spoken to her. Well, what would you be like if somebody said that to you? If somebody said, gosh, you're the most wonderful person. What are we like when somebody comes up to us and says, oh, gosh, I've never met anyone as nice as you. As used by God as you. What are we like? Uh, we, we stand there, don't we? And we, we probably think, oh, well, of course, God chose me because I'm, I'm the sort of person who would be particularly good as a mother. I, I really have a very holy life. And God's noticed the holiness of my life, and that's why he's chosen me. I'm particularly wise, so I'm going to be good at bringing this child up. That's why God's chosen me. And I'm sure you can add on lots and lots of other things. Well, by now, Mary has actually had a chance to think about it. This isn't the angel. This is sometime later. Mary's had a few days, weeks, whatever, to think about this and to, 
to, to develop these ideas of why she might have been chosen. So it's interesting to see what she says. How does Mary respond to Elizabeth's opening greeting? Well, Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. Mary continues to praise the Lord. Mary does not say, I'm not entirely sure that I really want this sort of blessing. No, she continues to praise the Lord, despite the fact that the reality has now settled in for her. She's continuing to praise the Lord. And then she says in verse 48, a remarkable thing, for he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. Mary knows that the reason why the Lord has visited her is because of her humble state. God had visited her humble state. And really this is the key to understanding Mary again. Now she is a bond slave, she does what the Lord says, and she is humble. She is a humble person. So I want to think for a few minutes about humility. Um, humility is not something which is naturally in any of us. And the reason I say that is because if you go back to the fall when man first sinned and look at the nature of the way in which man succumbed to temptation, uh, it's interesting to read the way in which Satan tempts man and what it is that, that tempts man. So this is reading to you from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The original temptation to sin was based upon the idea that we would like to be like God. And that is actually in each one of us. Each one of us wants to be master of our circumstance, we want to be like God, we want to be important, so we're important in our own estimation. So humility is something which doesn't come easily to us. We're not naturally humble people. In fact, Peter takes that up really in Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility, each one towards another. Clothe yourselves with humility. So what Peter is saying is, there is a humility which you need to put on. Clothe yourself with humility. You don't naturally wear it, you need to put it on. Um, well, when I got up this morning, I wanted to put my clothes on, obviously, before I came to see you. You'll be glad to know that. Uh, but I did have to do something before I could clothe myself with my shirt and so on. I had to take off my pyjamas. Because if I'd come here with my pyjamas on, with my clothes over the top, you'd have said there's something a bit strange about him. I know he's Philip's dad, but even so, there's something strange. 
hasn't he got his pyjamas on underneath his clothes? I mean, actually, we can only clothe ourselves with humility if we are willing to take off that which is not humble. Are you willing to allow God to show you what you're like? That's a big thing. It's a very brave thing. You know, to go to God and to say, now, please, will you show me what I'm like? If where there is pride and, and arrogance, and I think a lot of myself, and actually I'm not so ready to be corrected, and when people just say, don't do that, I sort of bridle, would you show me? Would you show me where there is an arrogance in my heart? And then as God reveals that to you, say to him, Look, you know, actually I can't remove this, it's part, of, it's part of who I am. It's what I'm like. Now will you enable me to take this off? Because actually I want to be humble. I want to be the sort of person who is willing to be your bondservant. Because I want to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ in the life as I walk. Be willing to allow God to show you what needs to be removed from your life in order that you can clothe yourself with humility. Actually, sometimes we do try to put on humility over what we're wearing, over our arrogance, and it sort of comes across as a false humility, doesn't it? It's, sort of, it's the sort of groveling humility that you know is underwritten by a lot of pride, really, and there's no truth in it. It's just something which has been put on for the sake of appearance. Well, humility was absolutely necessary for Mary. You know, if Mary was going to be able to go through life, she desperately needed to be humbled. She needed humility. And she needed humility for, I would suggest, two reasons. First of all, she needed humility in order to cope with the disgrace of her pregnancy and the way people would treat her. She needed that humility to cope with that. But then beyond that, she needed humility to cope with the honour of her calling. You know, she needed that humility if she was going to cope when Jesus had an anointed ministry and wasn't going to be the sort of woman who would appear in every chapter of every gospel standing behind Jesus, sort of appearing bigger than him on every occasion. Well, she goes on to say, um, for behold, this is Luke chapter 1 verse 48, for behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation for those who fear him. It's interesting that Mary is a woman who fears God. And to fear God really means to recognise who he is and who we are. If we recognise who God is and who we are, then we will give him the reverence which is due to his name. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. I wonder whether... You know, how easy is it to say that when you're going through a difficult situation like Mary, when you're facing disgrace and dishonour, can you say he has done mighty deeds with his arm? That comes from a fear of the Lord and a reverence for God. He has scattered those who are proud 
in the thoughts of their hearts. There's a safety for Mary in that. She knows that if pride comes, God will scatter her. And that's a form of judgment. When God scatters, it means that he's judging. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has exalted those who are humble. Somebody once said, the way to up is down. If you want to be exalted by God, lower yourself. He has filled the hungry with good things. If you want the word of God to open up to you, ask for hunger. Yes, and baptism in the Holy Spirit is also vital in that. But ask for hunger first of all, in order that you should desire the word of God. Be hungry. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. For he has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary knows that God is faithful to her word, to his word. He will keep the word which he has said. He is faithful to it. Well, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. Of course, by now the pregnancy will be known. So now she faces the difficulties. And Matthew's Gospel tells us something of of the way those difficulties manifested themselves and the way through for Mary. So again, they're interesting to look at. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This must have been the moment which Mary dreaded most. When things began to show and she was found to be pregnant. What is going to happen? Well, things appear to be unfolding in much the way that one might expect it. So in verse 19 it goes on to say, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So things are unfolding in the way in which she might dread. And of course the angel has said nothing to her about how to explain. She has no means of explaining the situation. Nothing has been said to her, say this or do that. Absolutely nothing. She's just got to live through it. So it goes on to say, but when he, that's Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the Lord speaks again into the situation, but this time to Joseph. Actually, I think that there's, you know, if you look at this, there's a divine wisdom in this. If the Lord had said to Mary, explain it to Joseph like this, I mean, it would have been hopeless, really. Actually, the only way through this is for Mary to sit there, say nothing, and for the Lord to deal with it and explain to Joseph himself. Which is, of course, what the Lord does. Well, after this point, we read very little about Jesus. About Mary, sorry. 
the focus becomes on Jesus. So after this point, Jesus is the focus. Mary disappears backwards a little bit. We do read at the end of the second chapter of Luke, so this is Luke chapter 2, verse 34, when they're presenting Jesus in the temple. So uh, this is 33 days after Jesus is born, so he's just a little baby, 33 days old. They go up to the temple and there's a man called Simeon and he blesses them and says to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. (coughs) This is a warning to Mary of what must happen. And really there are two things which Mary faces in her life. The first is this, that her son, of course, will die. And so a sword will pierce her own soul when her son dies. But actually there is more to it than that. Mary is now the mother of a little baby. That baby will grow up. And he is going to be the one whom God will use to forgive sins. And Mary is a sinner. And Mary will need forgiveness just like everyone else. So Mary will need to recognise that her son is not just her son, but he is the son of God. And she will need to recognise that she will need to come and bow the knee before him. She will have to be willing to acknowledge her sin before him. She needs her sin forgiven. There's going to need to be a change in the relationship between Mary and her son. She will have to go from being this caring mother to being a disciple. And that will pierce her own soul as well. It is going to be painful for her to undergo this change in relationship which is necessary Well, the next time we read of Mary is 12 years later, a little bit later on in Luke chapter 2, and uh, Jesus and his parents have gone up up to Jerusalem, and Jesus has remained in the temple, and the parents are going home, and they've lost the boy, they've lost Jesus. And so they search for him everywhere, and when they find him, we read what Mary says. And Mary says to him, Son... Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for her. In other words, looking for you. So we've been looking for you. So actually what we see is a concerned mother. Mary is a concerned mother who is caring for her son. Actually, she's a lot more gentle than I think I would have been. I mean, I'm not a mother, but... And I think if I can speak on Caroline's behalf... Uh, she's quite a lot more gentle than Caroline would have been. You know, I think a clip round the ear and a jolly firm word would have been in order, but actually we see that there's a gentleness about Mary. She is actually quite a gentle woman. She questions it, but she's gentle in her approach. And Jesus said to them, Why is it you were looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. This is 12 years, of course, later. I wonder whether they're beginning to forget a little bit who Jesus is. And this is just something of a reminder to them of who he is. Um, And then it says, He went down from them and came to Nazareth. 
And he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured these things in her heart. You see, there is Mary again, pondering these things, treasuring them, thinking on them, working out what is happening. She's this thoughtful girl. Well, then we need to go on for another 20 or so years until Jesus comes into his ministry. And this is right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, in the early months of his ministry, there is the incident at Cana in Galilee. So this is John chapter 2. And it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And then it goes on to say, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now, Clearly, Mary had come to a greater understanding of Jesus. She clearly understood that if you had a problem, Jesus was the one you went to. She clearly knew now that there was something about her son that was different. Go to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Woman, what does it have to do with us? My hour is not yet come. Actually, this is an interesting part in Jesus' ministry. Um, this is really the very early days of Jesus' ministry, and his ministry hasn't come to that point of full-bodied ministry yet. That occurs about eight months later, um, when he says that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, when he says that the Lord has anointed him. This is just really the beginning few months. But what I'm interested in here is the way he addresses his mother. You see, what he says is, woman. Now, if I was to say to my mother, woman, I would be being very rude to her. Actually, Jesus is not being rude to her in that way. He's not being rude. He loves his mother dearly. And you can see that if you look at the interaction with, between Jesus and Mary when Jesus is on the cross. You can see the deep love of the Lord Jesus for his mother. This is not a matter of Jesus being rude. Actually, what he's doing is distancing himself. He's actually beginning to introduce Mary to this idea that, that yes, she may be his mother, but actually he is the Son of God, and she will need to bow the knee to him. In other words, he is beginning to reveal himself to her in the same way that he was beginning to reveal himself to the world. And Mary is included in that, and she will need to see something of that, that, that new relationship. This is the sword beginning to pierce her own soul. It's interesting that Mary goes on to say at that that wedding in Cana of Galilee, she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. You know, I could say to somebody, whatever the Lord says to you, do it. And you might well look at my life and say, well, it's all very well for David to say that, but I can name a dozen occasions when he hasn't done it himself. And so, really, it doesn't carry much weight when David says to you, whatever the Lord says, do it. It doesn't carry much weight because I have a history. Mary also has a history. Mary has a history 
of being willing to do whatever the Lord says to her. When Mary says to them in this wedding in Cana of Galilee, whatever he says to you, do it, it comes from a woman who was willing to go the way in which Mary went, who was willing to be a bondservant of the Lord. There is a tremendous authority in this woman's words. You see, these are words spoken by a woman who had all the authority of having been through it herself of having been willing to go this way. And if the Lord takes you through difficult times, there will be, if you walk faithfully through the difficult times, in obedience to the Lord, you will come out of it with a greater authority than you went in. The words that you speak on the Lord's behalf will have greater weight, greater authority, greater measure, because your own life reflects the truth of them. And that is what we see with Mary here, that that as she says, whatever he says to you, do it. This is a woman who can testify to that with her whole life. Well, Mary didn't accompany Jesus in his ministry in a visible way. She remained hidden. Um, But we do come across her again in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. She appears again. And it says, Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived. So by this time there is a bigger family. He has brothers. And standing outside they sent word to him. And a crowd was sitting with, around him. And he said, they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are looking outside for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around to those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. You see this change in relationship? Now, really, obedience to God is more important than family ties. Well, that's the only occasion we read of, of Mary in Jesus' ministry, is those two occasions. One, as an, in a sense, as a teaching aid, the other at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. Uh, We come across um, Mary again when Jesus is crucified. So John chapter 19, verse 25, Jesus' crucifixion. And it says, Jesus then saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby. And he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. You see, what we know is that Mary had followed Jesus right the way through to the end, right the way to the cross. And Jesus' final words, really, on the cross had to do with the care of his mother as well as other things. He loved his mother and he was making provision for her in the future. That was John chapter 19, verse 25. Well, what happened after Jesus died and was raised from the dead? Um, Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 12 tells us this. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went into the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew 
Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were of one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So you see that Mary and Jesus' brothers have become disciples. They have become followers of the Lord Jesus, and they are there in the upper room with the disciples at the beginning of Acts. So what have we seen? Well, we've seen a concerned, loving mother who doesn't understand everything from the beginning, but is open to the Lord revealing to her the truth. The sort of woman who thinks, who doesn't have to be spoken to by God all the time. She doesn't require constant reassurance or constant direction. She is simply prepared to walk based upon what God had said to her 30 years earlier, observing what God is doing. She grows in her understanding and her expectation of the Lord Jesus. And she follows him right the way to the cross. And afterwards she continues as a disciple and a believer. What is important about her? Well, what I would suggest to you, the important thing is her character, and in particular, her great humility. And I wanted just to make a contrast, really. Just think of what we've read about Mary and her absence, really. What is important about Mary is what is not said, as much as what is said. The fact that she is absent from the story speaks volumes for her character. Just compare that with the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down, making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine shall sit, one on your right hand and one on your left. What a contrast between these two women. One who was prepared to just disappear, and the other who is up there pushing our sons forward. Well, I want to finish really by um, just giving you one verse which in a sense encapsulates all of this. And that's Luke chapter 1 verse 48. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondservant. Shall we pray? Father, you know it doesn't come naturally to us to um, clothe ourselves with humility. And Father, we want to ask that you would show us the clothes that we're wearing at the moment and the things that we need to take off. And if there's anything of an arrogance which is getting in your way so that you're not able to show forth your Son through our lives, Lord, we'd ask you to give us the way to remove the clothes. Lord, if there is something which we need to take off, give us the wherewithal to take it off. And Father, we want to ask you that you would, by your grace, clothe us with humility. And Lord, you know, for some of us, we need to hear from you all the time. Lord, if you want to teach us to just walk constantly before you, getting on with the thing that you've given us to do without you constantly having to reassure us. 
Father, we'd ask you for that faithfulness and that ability to stick with what you've said and just get on with it. And Lord, can we say to you, Father, as we see this this girl, lady, who pondered things in her heart, Father, give us the sort of heart that doesn't leap to conclusions, but is ready to ponder and consider and to learn what you're like and to see what you're doing and to recognize you in what is happening around us and to learn and grow from the things that we see. Amen.